Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. We're back. Triple the Theater, episode 90. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Millsy, tonight, one of our quirkiest trifectas, Youth in Revolt. Oh, yeah? We've got 1998's Rushmore, mm-hmm. 2001's Ghost World, mm-hmm. and 2002's Igby Goes Down. That we do. Uh, yeah, I think the quirk level is high. Uh, this is a Ryan Miller production of uh, three movies I'd never seen before. I had seen all of these. Mm-hmm. What's the history there? Ghost World. I I don't have any real memory of seeing it for the first time, but I've seen it a few times over the years and have always been a fan based on the Dan Klaus comic. I've never read a Dan Klaus comic, including Ghost World, but... Mm-hmm. Same. <laughs> Uh, I like this movie quite a bit. Um, gosh, I don't remember exactly when I saw it, but could have been like the first thing I ever saw Scarlett Johansson in. I was going to say it's probably, I'm actually checking right now, but I have to say this is the, like the earliest thing, the you earliest saw thing I've seen her in. Yeah. Rushmore. Gosh, similarly, probably Royal Tenenbaums or Life Aquatic would have been the first Wes Anderson movie I'd seen. And, um, I, I know that at some point I went back and I like, you know, watched Bottle Rocket and, uh, Rushmore just to be like, let's see what else this guy's done. Don't have like super strong memories of loving Rushmore or Royal Tenenbaums the first time I saw them. Uh, I've seen Royal Tenenbaums a few more times since and have grown to like it quite a bit. This might only be the second time I've seen Rushmore, Uh but been wanting to rewatch it for a long time because, I may be speaking out of school here, but I want to say a former guest of the show, Brian Weiner's wife, Kim, her favorite movie might be Rushmore. Okay. I know she's a big Wes Anderson fan, and I think I can confidently say Rushmore is her favorite Wes Anderson movie, but might be her favorite movie in general. And yeah, just for a long time, I've been meaning to rewatch it. And uh, speaking of Brian, I think... The one time I saw Igby Goes Down, it was either a recommendation from him or he lent it to me. Mm. I don't fully remember the circumstances there, but, you know, I feel like once upon a time, early 2000s, you know, we're both kind of like college age and, you know, would we we watched a lot of these like kind of indie dramas that were in at the time. There was one called Imaginary Heroes with uh, Sigourney Weaver that I remember very fondly, haven't seen since, and I'm kind of afraid to watch again because I have a feeling it won't be as good as I remember. But him and I talk about it all the time. Like, we watched it once. We loved it. Will we ever watch it again? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Igby Goes Down was a recommendation or or he had something to do with me seeing it. Gotcha. 
But yeah, didn't remember a whole lot. So yeah, like honestly, coming up with the idea for this episode, I think partially either subconsciously or otherwise was me being like, I need an excuse to watch Rushmore and Igby goes down again. Hmm. All right. All right. Um, I did look, this is abs- uh, Ghost World, definitely the oldest movie I've seen with Scarlett Johansson in it. Was and it before Eight-Legged Freaks? Because she was also in It that. was. Okay. Yeah, I want to say when we talked about that movie on the show, uh, it was like that and uh, Eight-Legged Freaks and um, uh, Lost in Translation came out like back to back in the same year or something and they feel like nothing was like, like something that the same actor would yeah, be in. One, two, both. three. 2001 Ghost World, 02 Eight Legged Freaks, 03 Lost in Translation, oh, which, yeah. which I've still not seen. And the oh. first movie I ever saw her in was The Island. Mm. Yeah, that would have been an early one too. But mm-hmm. man, man, we got to get you. It's one get of those ones, man. Lost in Translation. I know. I've always heard that. Just got to do it. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, these are all. Uh, I was aware of all three. I've kind of always wanted to see. I just knew there was a graphic novel connection, so I've always kind of wanted to see Ghost World. And um, I like tons of Wes Anderson stuff, but just never. It was definitely from like Tenenbaums forward. So mm-hmm. haven't seen Bono Rocket. Never saw Rushmore. But <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So you know, as physical media fans uh, and fans of uh, the Criterion Collection and what they do. Twice a year, there is a Criterion Collection 50% off sale through Barnes & Noble that uh, you and I and some of our other friends will take advantage of. Oh, yeah. And uh, Bottle Rocket, I think I might have all of the Wes Anderson movies that they've put out, which is most of them, if not all of them, except for Rushmore and Bottle Rocket, his first two. And they've always just kind of been on my list of, I'll get them one day. And Mm -hmm. um, I had already placed an order... Uh, this most recent sale uh, that I think has maybe just ended as we record it this, did, but yep. but it was running recently, and I had already placed an order and was like, all right, that's I'm satisfied with this order. And then uh, we recorded last episode, and this trio came up as you know the the next show we were going to do, and I was like, well, the sale's running. This is as good an excuse as any to finally buy those. So I did buy Bottle Rocket along with this, and I, yeah. I want to give that a rewatch soon as well. There you go. Without looking at a list, I feel like I'm curious what movies did Criterion of his there they did not do. I don't. Do they have Darjeeling Limited? I don't remember. Hmm. I don't know. It's worth looking up. I know but... they've done Rushmore, um, Grand Budapest Hotel, Moonlight or Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Life Bottle Aquatic, Rocket, Rushmore, yeah. Life Aquatic, uh, Fantastic, Fantastic Mr. Mr. Fox. Fox. Have they done Isle of Dogs? Mm. I hope so. I I love all of his movies. So I don't know if they've done the French seen. Dispatch either. Maybe they have. That one's really recent. But you like that one, right? French oh, Dispatch? I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I need to see that. But anyway, yeah. I, anyway, <laughs> I'm a fan in general. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, let's dig in, shall we? All right. Well, yeah, movie number one is Rushmore from 1998. I like your nurse's uniform, guy. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? Well, they're totally inappropriate for the occasion. Well, I didn't know we were going to dinner. That's because you weren't invited. Take it easy, Max. You were the one that ordered him a whiskey and soda. So what's wrong with that? 
I can write a hair play. Why can't I have a little drink to unwind myself? So tell me, Curly, how do you know Miss Cross? We went to Harvard together. Oh, that's great. I wrote a hair play and directed it. So I'm not sweating it either. Can we get a check, please? What do you think you're doing? Getting a check. No, you're not. Excuse me. I just want to thank you for accommodating us. You see, we only thought we were going to be three, but uh, someone invited himself along, so I apologize. It's quite all right, sir. Okay. Very well. You're being rude, Max. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. I'm just trying to figure out why you brought this gentleman to my play and my dinner, which was invitation only. Would you like me to pass the creamer, dog? Yes, please. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You hurt my feelings. This night was important to me. How I hurt your feelings? Oh, my God! I wrote a hit play! And I'm in love with you. I didn't realize till the end credits that Owen Wilson was a writer on this. Hmm. Yeah, I couldn't. I knew that he didn't have like a main role, but I couldn't remember if he was in it or not. I guess he and so he and Wes Anderson wrote Bottle Rocket and Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson are like main characters in Bottle Rocket. And then in this one, Luke Wilson is in it. Not a huge part. Owen is not. in. I mean, he's he's there a couple times. Not that you know he was there, but like he'll be in the background or like, oh, yeah, never caught that. Like, you know, in the beginning of the movie, there's that montage of all the different clubs that uh, Jason Schwartzman's character has started or been a part of. And one of them is like go-kart racers. Yep. Him and Wes Anderson are the two guys in the background riding around on go-karts, but you'd never know. Like, little shit like that. He was around during the the, the making of the movie. I don't know why he didn't have a part in it. Mm. Oddly enough, I did not know or if i did know i had forgotten that there was a third wilson brother who's an actor and i'm watching the movie again i hadn't seen it in a very long time i was gonna say is he in this because there's someone that sounds like a wilson yeah yeah so that's the thing he plays the gym coach who's only in like two scenes and in the Mm -hmm. end of the movie he's like sitting there talking to someone (laughs) like at uh at max's final play or something and his he just it sounded like I'm like, did Owen Wilson dub this actor's voice? And then totally. I looked it up at the end and oh no, that's the third Wilson brother who just sounds just oh, like okay. Owen Wilson. He does. Yeah. I thought the exact same thing. Yeah, Andrew like, Wilson okay. is his name. And he's never had like a main role in anything, but he's had, had like small roles in like a ton of things you've seen. Yeah, I know I've seen him before, but I don't know if I just maybe never noticed he sounds just like yeah. brother. Yeah, I no joke. I was like, this sounds like Owen Wilson dubbed his voice. <laughs> a thousand, <laughs> a really thousand percent. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So uh, Owen Wilson wrote this with uh, with Wes Anderson. So the movie is about a kid. I, it, it's too difficult of a movie to give a brief synopsis for, I feel, because it's so kind of all over the place and unusual. But it's about a kid at a, a prep school. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess... Luke, Owen, and their other brother, Andrew Wilson, all went to a prep school. And of the three of them, Luke was the only one who graduated. And I think Wes Anderson went to a similar kind of school. And so they wanted to, they they started writing this movie before Bottle Rocket. And uh, they just wanted to, like, make a movie set in that environment. Okay. 
And so I guess they had like a little a little bit of pull or luck with a studio after Bottle Rocket and got to make this one. Mm-hmm. So uh, as a first time viewer, what did you think of uh, Rushmore? I did enjoy myself. It's like uh, where Wes Anderson movies like feel like so dialed in. This does feel like before that, you know, like it does feel to me. For sure. <laughs> Royal Tenenbaums onward has that specific style, which there's hints of it in this for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not quite as dialed in. Um, I watched this one last. And overall, yeah, I liked it. I mean, it's got those like fun little quirks. It's, you know, it's funny that Max, you know, the main character is like... <laughs> throughout the thing i'm like i was like i can't tell if i'm supposed to like him or not is he the hero or the villain (laughs) kind of because it's like the answer is yes yeah to that question (laughs) (laughs) okay fair because i'm like yeah it's like when i was watching it it was like one of these scenarios where the movie presents the story in the eyes of whichever person but like what does that look like from the other characters because i'm thinking like what if it's the teacher Rosemary or even uh, Bill Burry's character or whatever. Like, well, how would they be viewing all the shit this kid is doing? <laughs> so, yeah, um, kind of fun with that. Uh, but yeah, all around, I found it fun. I'm glad I finally got to see it. Um, I loved all the the stage plays, especially just the, you know, being the first one I think he's working out was the Serpico one, which just like <laughs> yeah. made me die laughing because. A, I love Serpico, and maybe even more than how much I love Serpico is the idea of like high school kids putting on a performance of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then there's one that's like the maybe like L.A. gangs kind of thing. I don't know if that was in reference to something exact or whatever. And then the final one was like, I thought it was going to be straight up be Platoon, but I know at some point they show like a poster for it and it's got a different name, but... Yeah, it's called Heaven and Hell, I think. Yeah, still just hilarious. Like the feels like a very um Wes Anderson kind of thing, but they haven't mm-hmm. put it on those kind of stories. But Yeah. Um yeah, overall I liked it. I was as we'll get into, I was like I was like, How, is there gonna be underage, you know, adult <laughs> underage sex in this one too? I was like, Yeah, sure it's youth and revolt, but uh, <laughs> So there's that angle, but yeah, overall, overall a good time. What did you, uh, so what number of viewing do you think for you is this? This is only the second time I've seen it. I can say okay. that pretty okay. positively. You know, I watched it years ago when I was like first discovering Wes Anderson. And like I said, it hasn't been like a favorite of mine. It is in, like, so the first one that I really attached myself to, and like I said, maybe the first one I saw was The Life Aquatic. And I feel like bottle rocket and then this and then royal tenenbaums you're right like that movie also is very much in towards his aesthetic but i feel like the first time that he's like full-blown what he will become wes anderson is life aquatic at least that's Mm. the way i perceive it i'm sure arguments could be made to the contrary but um like that movie is just an entire it's like a it's like it does not take place in reality right at all and I feel like most of his movies since then, again, I've only seen Darjeeling Limited once, but like most of them feel like they take place in complete fantasy worlds where it feels like it took him a couple movies to get the courage and the clout to be able to go full Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, this one, it's like, it wouldn't be too hard to remove a couple of elements, change a couple of things and have this play like a real movie. Like there's no denying if you've seen Wes Anderson stuff and you watch this, that you're like, oh yeah, this is him. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't be hard, I feel, to change that about it. And I don't know how much that does or doesn't play into my enjoyment of it. I still feel like not like super high on the list of Wes Anderson movies for me. Same. Yep. I I I kind of like you were saying, I, I like and I hate <laughs> Max Fisher both at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I like the story that is told, but even in the end, I'm not even sure... I don't think it presents exactly if you're supposed to root for him or like him, but I don't think I do in the end. But <laughs> yeah, it it's just it, the movie. Like I said, it 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 could almost be mistaken for not a Wes Anderson film. It's like one of the more quote unquote normal feeling movies yeah. that he's done, and I think because of that, even though I know at all times that it's him, I'm ex. Expecting it, like I kept expecting things to happen because I hadn't seen it in so long, I forgot a lot of it that you would expect to happen in a normal movie. <laughs> like I get the whole like he's obsessed with the teacher thing, but then I like when the um, what's her name, uh, Sarah Tanaka is introduced. Like I like it's insinuated at the end of the movie. I think she refers to herself as his girlfriend, but it seems like he's not really sure. Yep. But like, it's like I was waiting for him to realize, oh, no, I'm better off with this girl uh, than the teacher who obviously that can never work or whatever. And right. Like, it's it's interesting. One of the apparently like their original concept for the movie when they came up with it was like, we just want to ha- make take a 15 year old and a 50 year old and put them on the same level. And that's <laughs> what they basically do with Bill Murray's character. Mm-hmm. But it's like. <sighs> Like some of the characters in this movie feel like complete caricatures and others don't. Whereas in later movies, everybody feels like a complete caricature. Like yeah. everybody in the French dispatch is 100% stilted the way that Wes Anderson likes his actors to mm-hmm. be. This one is like this weird cross pollination of like a real movie and like Wes Anderson's going for this thing that he like can't quite get to yet because the studio would probably be like, are you fucking crazy at this point early in his career? Yeah. But I know I should, should at some point like start to watch this with Megan or something. Cause I want to see her reaction. Cause you know, famously when her and I first early on were dating and once I'm finally like starting her to show her like the really weird shit I'm into or, you know, really get a peek behind the curtain with movies and stuff and watching, when we watched uh, Life Aquatic, it was not very far into that movie at all where she was like, is this one of those weird movies that like people really like? But is like, I don't remember how she worded it, but I was just <laughs> before she could even finish. I was like, yes. So, so she's not a Wes Anderson fan is what you're saying. I mean, she just like, you know, in as much as she hasn't seen Wes Anderson movies, otherwise she right. would know the answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah. The. So she would just equate it to like one of those movies where I know I know what she means. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, um, Man, you know, you 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 ponder the question, or someone asks it every now and then. Like, if you could go back in time and like wipe your memory of a certain movie and watch it again for the first time, you know, you, oh I always think of like, oh man, just my favorites, like being able to see the thing for the first time and not know what's coming or whatever. Mm-hmm. But honestly, to be able to, like, wipe my memory of Wes Anderson and, like, start with something like the French Dispatch, 
which I know you said you haven't seen, but that one is just like you cannot mm-hmm. get more Wes Anderson than that movie's tone. <laughs> would just would be kind of interesting just to like relive that for the first time again. <laughs> yeah, I actually really like for a practical superpower. Like, yes, I could pick something that could like potentially save lives or the world, but. Nah, give me the one where I could just rewatch movies for the first time over and over. I've never thought about it in that context. It's always like if you could go back and watch one movie again for the first time, but like if your superpower was I can wipe specific things from my own memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that could be fun, but it could also be dangerous, I feel. It could be extremely dangerous. Like, yeah, if it's it would almost have to be more like a total recall thing where I can go in and be like, all right, take this movie out. Yeah. In particular. Hmm. It's funny, I, I was just thinking like, oh, you could like, you could get together with a bunch of people, commit a crime, and then you could wipe your memory of the whole thing to have plausible deniability and like like not know any of the people that you committed yeah. the crime with. And then it's funny, I was I just recently, out of the blue, rewatched the movie Paycheck, and that's mm. almost what that movie is, where Ben Affleck's character gets hired to like, do this corporate espionage and like, backwards create products that other companies have made. And then after he does it, he gets his mind wiped, so he doesn't have any memory of doing it. Never seen that one, so I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, just okay. weird coincidence. Yeah, a little anyway. eternal sunshine of the spotless mind in there, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. For wiping, sure. The wiping. <laughs> There's a good uh, podcast <laughs> title, The Wiping. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, I I thought it was interesting, you know, reading about this movie. If you really go back and you look at Bill Murray's filmography in like chronological order, um, like I like him in this movie. Mm-hmm. He again, I feel like he's put in stronger performances in other Wes Anderson movies to come. But I mean, I guess this was pretty different for him at the time, and he apparently got like rave reviews from critics for this movie, and it like made him actively decide that he was going to stray from broad comedies and do more indie stuff like this. And I mean, in addition to working with Wes Anderson a ton, just if you look at the movies he made in the years following this and like even up to today with, you know, some exceptions like doing the voice of Garfield in the (laughs) live action CG Garfield movies. Uh, which, if you believe what he says, was an accident because he only took the role because he wanted to work with Ethan Cohen before he realized that this was a different Ethan Cohen, not one of the Cohen <laughs> brothers. Okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, movies like Lost in Translation, which, you know, without something like this and Royal Tenenbaums would not feel like a Bill Murray kind of role or uh, – mm-hmm. There's a movie called Broken Flowers. I haven't seen it, but someone was actually describing it to me recently and made me want to watch it. It's about like he finds out that he has a kid, but he doesn't know who the he had the kid with. So he's like going around and tracking down all the women that he's had relationships with, trying to figure out who the mother is. But just like, yeah, a ton of stuff, you know, and he'll pop up in things here and there, like that small cameo in Zombieland or. Right you know, the new Ghostbusters movies that they mm-hmm. keep making. But yeah, it's, it's, like, it's interesting to think that this movie kind of changed the path of Bill Murray's career. Yeah, because I don't, just having just seen it, it doesn't like seem that like obscure of a role, you know, like what the the character or any of the, the lines he has or anything like that. It's like kind of like a straight man a little bit. 
this doesn't feel like the super super quirks of like later a little bit i mean he does he does play it like an adult child as well though yeah but not just basically to what you said it's just not ramped up yeah so again much. he's not on the level of like his character in life aquatic or something of course, of course uh but man also for this movie put jason schwartzman on the map this was his first credited role in i think anything was it mm-hmm. hmm. yeah apparently they were like looking and looking for somebody and wes anderson even questioned like you know maybe it's not the right time to make this movie because we can't find someone apparently macaulay culkin tried out for the role hmm. okay but uh, Jason Schwartzman like sent in a tape and uh, like impressed everybody. Really, and apparently he like visually, like physically, isn't anything like what Wes Anderson had in mind. But he was like just so good in his performance that they they chose him. And I mean, now Jason Schwartzman is somebody we know. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Yeah, look at that, Milzy. But yeah, back to Bill Murray for a second. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I read that. Um, Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson had Bill Murray in mind when they wrote the role, but didn't think they'd ever get him. But they sent it to Bill Murray and his agent read it. And uh, the agent had been a big fan of the movie Bottle Rocket. So like insisted that Bill Murray read the script. And, um, you know, this movie Bottle Rocket, I think, was well received, but still considered kind of an oddity and a curiosity as though you couldn't imagine that coming from Wes Anderson. And this movie didn't have, like, a huge budget, but Bill Murray liked the script so much that he agreed to work for scale, which I read was around $9,000. Oh. And uh, apparently at some point during production, the studio denied Wes Anderson $75,000 for a specific shot, and Bill Murray allegedly wrote him a blank check, like, just to cover the cost because he believed in the movie so much. Oh, shit. Uh, That's what I read. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Budget for the movie was ten million. Box office was nineteen point one. Hmm. So like not blowing the doors off, but it feels like Wes Anderson has like had these baby steps through his career to becoming like more quote unquote mainstream. It's like the weird, the less mainstream his movies feel, the more mainstream they become because people kind of now know what to expect <laughs> from him. Yeah, and it's just like you know, bit by bit, he built up this career to the point where it's kind of cool that he's never had to take a job from what Mm -hmm. i understand (laughs) yeah you know like the only even remotely mainstream thing i'm aware of him ever doing is have you ever seen the credit card commercial i think i think it was a credit card commercial that he directed jeez i don't think so you gotta look it up on youtube it's like he did a commercial but he he turned the commercial into a wes anderson film it's pretty cool (laughs) okay i like it i like it yeah Back to uh, Bill Murray for a second. Did I ever t- did I ever tell you how I had seen him in Brockton several times because he owned the minor league baseball team there? No. <laughs> yeah, the the Brockton Rocks. They built a stadium and everything at the Brockton High High School like grounds. And I don't know if he still is, but he Bill Murray was like a part time owner, and I'd like seen him a couple times up at the stadium when it first started. Was he from Boston? Uh, no, I think he just likes baseball. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, uh, random bit of tidbit there. <laughs> Brian Cox in this as like the, uh, the oh. headmaster of the school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was 1998. I mean, I didn't see this when it came out. I must've seen X-Men 2 before this, I'm thinking, <laughs> but, um, 
<laughs> yeah, one of one of the earlier things I'd seen Brian Cox in. Yeah, he's probably got a list that's you know a couple hundred deep, right? Oh yeah, he's in a billion he's things. Kick around. Oh yeah, two hundred and forty-one. <laughs> yeah, uh, good time. Good time on uh, old Rushmore. There, I'm glad to have finally seen it. Yeah, like I say, it's um, not high on the list of Wes Anderson movies for me, but um, there's not really a lot of lows. So, like, <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's still in pretty good company. I feel. Yeah, seems like a good start for him. What he rolled yeah. into. Moving on. Uh, movie number two. Oh. Uh, we have Ghost World from 2001. 2001. I'm going to be your own personal dating service. Yeah, well, we should get back. By the end of the summer, you're going to be up to your neck in pussy. Jesus. What about her? Would you go out with her? What kind of a question is that? I mean, it's, it's totally irrelevant because a girl like that would never be caught dead with me. Yeah, but put that aside for now. Would you go out with her? I really didn't get a good look at her. Yes, you did. Whoa. What about her? Are you into girls with big tits? Jesus. I mean, as long as she's not a complete imbecile and she's even remotely attractive. Hey, look, there's Norman. Hi, Norman. We need to find a place where you can go to meet women who share your interests. Well, maybe I don't want to meet someone who shares my interests. I hate my interests. Yeah, yeah, just list your five main interests in order of importance. Uh, I'd have to put traditional jazz, blues, uh, and then ragtime at the top of the list. Right, then... so let's just say music. That way we only use up one. All right. Uh, aforementioned, uh, made from a comic book or adaptation of a graphic novel. Yep, from... Ghost World by Dan Klaus, uh, who mm-hmm. co-wrote the script for this with director Terry Zweigoff. Okay. Uh, Terry Zweigoff, <laughs> interesting career. He did a documentary I don't remember the name of, and then he did the documentary Crumb about R. Crumb, mm-hmm. which, speaking of Criterion Collection, highly recommended that documentary. It is just the strangest thing, <laughs> but it's really okay. good. Then, you know, keeping in line with that, uh, you know, he does does a documentary about one of the most well-known, you know, indie comics, underground comics creators ever. Goes on to make Ghost World based on indie underground comic creator Dan Klaus's comic. Then he does Art School Confidential after this, which is another, I, th- I think it's another Dan Klaus story that he adapted into a film. And then I think like the only other thing he's directed is Bad Santa with Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> oh, that's random. I don't know how that happens, but Okay. Yeah, so something else I didn't know, like I've seen this movie a bunch of times, but reading up on it discovered that uh Terry Zweigoff, like the way that he had so much um access to R. Crumb to make that documentary, which he made over the course of like a couple years, uh, and then like his into this world of indie comics is that uh I don't know if Terry Swagoff ever did any comic stuff himself, but R. Crumb is a huge fan of, like, the same kind of things. Like, basically, um, Seymour, the the Steve Buscemi character in this movie, Mm -hmm. he basically seems like he was based off of R. Crumb. Like, super into, like, old records and stuff, and, like, old, early, like, black music, and the the weird fascination with that 
you know, racist old company logo for Coon's chicken in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like that illustration for that poster was done by R. Crumb. And he plays music himself. And Terry Zwigoff back in like the 60s or the 70s was in a band with R. Crumb. Oh, okay. And so that's how he knew him. And then uh, in this movie, the scene where uh, Enid first like meets Seymour face to face at their little like uh, garage, like garage sale thing. And she buys the record from him. The first record she pulls up and she asks, is this good? And Steve Buscemi looks at it and he's like, no, that one's not very good. Mm-hmm. That's an album that he recorded with R. Crumb. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Love so it. I thought that was super interesting. Like, yeah, that's good stuff. How Terry Zweigoff is like in that world, but like not a, not a indie comic book creator, but like in that world, I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, again, first time viewer, what did you think of Ghost World? Um, you know, I'll come out and say I like this one quite a bit, actually. You know, it's got the, it feels even older than 2001. Like, it feels like a 90s movie more than that, which, I mean, might as well be, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this takes place in, like, the 90s, I think. Like, yeah, it must. It's a, it's a period piece. There's yeah, like, for sure. I don't think there's any cell phones or anything, so. No. Um, so, yeah, I just like that whole bit of it, but I enjoyed this quite a bit. I think the. Thor Birch like carries the whole thing like really well. You know, I think she's like she plays an interesting character and all the little quirks. I really like Steve Buscemi. How that whole storyline kind of plays out is wild, you know. Um Scarlett Johansson doesn't feel like she does like too too much. She's just kind of like a nasty, she's like a mean teenager. So but you know. She's kind of like the straight man. For sure. hundred uh, percent. Where it's like but I think I kind of like those stories or even like there's so much of that from real life is like people that end up being friends could be like completely different people. But, you know, that for whatever reason, they can become best friends. Yeah. And and the interesting thing about it is um, like Scarlett Johansson even says at one point her character Rebecca in the movie that like so the movie begins with them graduating from high school and the movie takes place over basically the three months of summer before the next school year or college would begin. And um, Rebecca says to Enid at one point, like ever since I feel like you've been ignoring me ever since we graduated high school or ever since we've been at Mm -hmm. a high school. Mm -hmm. And you know, there are these weird instances where like you can be really close to somebody under certain circumstances. Like I see this, uh, this meme pop up every now and then where people are like, uh, Instead of a family reunion, what you should have is a party where you get together all the cool people you got along with at shitty jobs throughout your life all together and like have a reunion <laughs> with all them. Mm-hmm. And it's like you can totally like be forced into a position where you're either stuck in a school or you're stuck at like a job with people and you make the best of it and become friends. But then like outside of that context, you like don't have a lot in common or whatever. And that's kind of what this made me think of. Like, that's what it kind of made me feel when Mm. she said that to her this time around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense. But yeah, again, I liked the performances, production values. Good. The story's just, like I said, kind of quirky and fun, just how the whole thing pans out. And I really like Steve Buscemi in this actually. I thought he was, he's great. Like great. Like probably like one of my, my favorite things I feel like I've seen him do. Yeah. Like he plays it 
so well. And then just the, the circumstances of the character are just kind of wild, but he plays it so well. Yeah. So just quickly for anybody who hasn't seen it, this one's also not the easiest to describe. It's more of like a hangout movie. Like it's more about the vibe than like the actual plot. But Enid is the main character played by Thor Birch and her best friend is Rebecca Scarlett Johansson. And uh, they're kind of like the weird girls at school, more so Thor Birch's character. Mm -hmm. But they graduate high school and it's like, okay, now it's time to grow up and take the next step. And Thor Birch's character definitely finds herself in a state of like arrested development where she like doesn't know what she wants to do and doesn't know how to go about doing any of the things that she should be doing. And almost as like a form of procrastination, it felt to me, um, she becomes like obsessed with this sad sack guy that lives in their town named Seymour, played by Steve Buscemi, and like forcefully kind of inserts herself into his life. And then it, it just feels like she's like using him as an excuse to like not focus on the things in her life that she should be focusing on. But then mm -hmm. while it seems like she's maybe a positive force in his life because it's like, she's a new friend to him and she makes it like her job in life to try and hook him up with somebody. Cause she's like sad to see him kind of alone. But then like, maybe she's actually not such a good new part of his life after things transpire the way they do in the movie. Yep. But yeah, like I said, it's just kind of a hangout movie. You like meet these characters, understand their circumstance, and then just see what happens. And that can be really boring if not done well. But like this is one of those instances where I just find myself absolutely captivated by everything that yeah. happens in this movie and yeah. all the people in it. I was enthralled. And one of these things where I'm like, I have no idea how this could pan out because it's just the way it's written and everything. Like there's no clear hollywood like through line here like <laughs> how this could all pan out like i don't know who's ending up together with whom or who's going where you know yeah um i like how it ends because it just kind of ends a bit open-ended with enid like finally going off on her own so so how did you read that ending then like I, I i thought of it as that like just seeing like her finally taking upon herself to go off on her own what I thought. Mm -hmm. Is there a general consensus on that? <laughs> well, I read something really interesting <laughs> that never occurred to me and honestly makes the movie a bit darker. <laughs> she died. So I copied part of this from Wikipedia or IMDb or somewhere. But uh, in a 2002 interview, Dan Klaus and Terry Zweigoff were asked if the ending of the film adaptation was a metaphor for suicide. <laughs> Dan Klaus replied, yeah, it could be. It's hard to figure out why people have that response. The first time I heard that, I said, what? You're out of your mind. What are you talking about? But I've heard that hundreds of times now. Mm. Uh, and that never occurred to me. Well, I guess the only thing, you know, makes it feel like it means more is because, like, the old man got on the bus finally. Yeah. So, like, what is that? You could find pull some meaning from that, perhaps. So it's funny. The movie ends, and I've seen it a bunch of times. I had forgotten exactly how it ended. She gets on the bus, rides off, and I felt in the moment, like, loved, loved this movie. And then that moment, just at the end, like, rediscovering that, I was kind of, like, weirdly a little unsatisfied by it. And then I read that quote, and it got me thinking some. 
And then I was talking to one of my coworkers at the comic store, who's also a big fan of the movie, and him and I were discussing a little bit, and I think I I feel like I kind of came to the conclusion, you know, she says at one point that uh, when she's I think she's asking Steve Buscemi to like tell her something strange about himself, and then she reveals that she used to dream about just uh, like grabbing a couple things and like driving off somewhere and just like never telling anybody where she went and just like starting a new life somewhere. Right. And it, like, I almost wonder, you know, she's tried to do all these things. Like she tried to force herself to move in with Rebecca. She obviously tried and then became afraid to get into like an actual relationship with, um, with Seymour. And I'm wondering if she almost didn't realize like, no, this was just like, he was a, like a brief escape, but like I couldn't actually be with him or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's the choice of, yeah, actually grow up and go somewhere and do something. Or it, it almost to me just feels like she is living out that fantasy, like with no other idea of what to do. She's just going to try this thing that, you know, it's, it's like not having to commit to something anybody else expects her to do. Like she just has to commit to this broad idea of I'm going to just go somewhere and see what happens. And that's kind of what I think the ending is. So it's like a version of what you said. Yeah. I mean, that's, I could definitely see it either. Like that is the time where she actually just takes off and like never comes back to town or. Yeah. is just finally like doing something where she's not, you know, has someone with her to, help steer her away kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this movie, it's it's interesting because it's definitely more realistic and serious in a manner of speaking than something like Rushmore, which has that Wes Anderson heightened sensibility mm-hmm. to it. There are moments that almost feel like Napoleon Dynamite-ish to me, like the guy with the nunchucks at the convenience <laughs> right. store. Right, right. And there's definitely a lot of this like kind of sardonic lens of looking at the world where things that seem normal, they can make it seem peculiar through the eyes of these, you know, Mm -hmm. wayward soul, you know, young adults. Right. But. Who effectively are assholes because their whole thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, shit they do to Super Zeri is like an asshole teenager thing to do. But this is a perfect example of what you said about Rushmore. Like, imagine looking at these characters through the eyes of anybody other than them. (laughs) Yeah. Which you kind of get to do a little bit by the end. Like when when Rebecca even tells Enid like that she doesn't think it's a good idea for her to move in with her anymore. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just. Yeah, I'm with you. It's just like, uh, again, it's not like a plot that like somehow satisfactorily ties itself up at the end. It's just, it's like an emotional journey. And though I can't say that the ending of the film has any kind of real tangible message, when it's over, I just feel like I've been through something. Which is honestly exactly how I feel since we brought it up a little while ago about the movie Lost in Translation. And that's one of the things I love about that movie. Like, I think, Mm. like, tonally, conceptually, that movie and this movie are very similar now that I think about it. But. Yeah, this just feels like a, in a good way, but like you said, kind of like a moment in time. Like, it's a, this is like part of her story. So it's, yeah, it's not like something that necessarily gets tied up for anyone mm-hmm. but it just it's a more of a you know a, a look at the her growth i guess yeah 
And like, I don't know, it's, it feels kind of weird to say this because like we were just talking about, like some of the characters in this movie are like assholes and a lot of the other characters are just like sad individuals, but yeah, for sure. Have you, I, I recommended to you recently a podcast I thought you should check out. Have you had a chance to listen to uh, movies to be buried with yet or films to be buried with? Uh, no. So it's this podcast I discovered where this guy interviews different like comedians and actors and directors and things. And the the basic idea is he has these like maybe 12 or 15 categories and he'll ask like, what's the movie that scared you the most? And what's the sexiest movie you've ever seen? And like some slightly off the beaten path kind of movie questions, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like what's a movie that you loved, but you've seen again recently and now you don't like it as much or whatever. And one of the questions that he asks, and of course, because I'm a movie nerd, I'm listening to these podcasts and I'm like trying to answer the questions myself and imagining if I was on the show, this is what I would say. Um, and one of the questions that he always asks that uh, I'm always like, I, that's the one I don't know how to answer is name a film you identify with the most. Mm. And a lot of people will answer that question by identifying with a character. Like, oh, I identify with like uh, Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future. But it's like the question is, what's a movie you identify with? And when I finished watching this movie, I was sitting there while the credits were rolling and I was thinking, this might be the movie that I identify (laughs) with. (laughs) I love it. And I think it's partially because it's not just one character, but like I feel like I see, for better or worse, most likely worse in more cases than not, myself in Enid, Seymour, for sure the two of them, and even a little bit Rebecca. Hmm. Interesting. But I mean, it's like it's easy to identify with Seymour if you're someone like me because he, like I have a fucking movie room full of 3000 movies and I have a huge comic book collection and Mm -hmm. Seymour has a huge record collection. He has like old pulp book and like old Western movie posters and stuff all over his wall in his room that he's made. And sure. Sure. I definitely feel like to a degree Enid is the kind of person that I was in high school, especially like the latter years of high school, just kind of like a, a dick who either didn't care or tried to pretend like they didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I feel like I get a lot out of this movie without even really being able to express what those things are. (laughs) Uh, I could, I could roll with you on that for sure. Like I could understand somebody watching this movie and like not getting anything out of it and being like, it's not for me, but it's like the same way I can watch like, you know, whatever generic romantic comedy or Harry Potter film and not get anything out of it. But some people have like these great things that they, you know, feel when they watch those or whatever. Yeah. I was going to say like this or the youths would say this movie is a vibe. Oh yeah, for sure. I am certainly with you on that. You know, this, this brings about a certain feeling of Mm -hmm. time or even if you can or cannot relate with these characters, but I think they play it so well just kind of reminds you, even if you didn't go through any of these same scenarios, just remind reminded me of like being that age. Yeah. Which also is good too um, with this, that the young people are actually played by young people. You know, it wasn't like high schoolers played by late 20 year olds or something. Yeah. Like you see in so many things. So. Yeah. Cause I think, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, American beauty came out in 1999 Mm-hmm. And I remember an anecdote that I'll always remember about that movie because it's so weird is that uh, Thor Birch was 17 
when they filmed that movie mm-hmm. because and I remember that because she had a nude scene. So in order for her to appear nude because she was not 18 yet, her parents had to agree to it and be on set. And they were cool with it because both of her parents were former porn stars. Oh. So, like, I know that when they were filming that probably in, like, 1998, 1999, she was 17. So she was probably, like, 20 or 21, 22 when they made this. So, Mm -hmm. And, yes, Scarlett Johansson, I think I was watching an interview with her about this movie and I think I forget how old she said she was but she wasn't super old either. She was um Thor Birch would have been 18 ish when this was filmed. Mhm. And Scarlett was 16. Okay. So yeah. Basically right around the exact the right age. Mhm. Yeah, and I I didn't um I didn't write a ton of this stuff down but uh apparently I'm I'm now more than ever because I'm like dissecting the movie for the show. I'm like curious to finally like actually read the comic, but apparently it's very different from the comic because I guess the two girls, Rebecca and Enid, have like equal billing, like equal screen time, quote unquote, in the book. Mm-hmm. Okay, but they felt that it would make sense to focus on one of them in yeah, the movie for sure. more. And uh, Seymour, who's like a huge part of this movie. Apparently he only appears in the comic in as much as the way that they meet him is they read like a, uh, what are those? It's called like a mist, mist interaction, mist connection. Yeah. They read his mist connection in the newspaper, call him and pretend to be this woman that he was writing to. And, uh, then they just like stake out the restaurant that they tell him to meet her at. And, like, make fun of the fact that he's a loser. Apparently, that's the only scene that he's in in the comic. And they expanded his role to this huge part of the movie. Seriously. For the film. So, I'm very curious now to read the comic and see how different it is. It's like the defining story of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Like, what even is the comic without that? (laughs) Right. But, yeah, Christina Ricci was originally cast as Enid, which makes a ton of sense. Sure, sure. So Thora Birch had tried out because she wanted to play Enid because she felt like connected to the character when she read the script and the comic. But uh, Terry Zweigoff and Dan Klaus really wanted her to play Rebecca. I think she's naturally blonde. And then um, like after Christina Ricci had to drop out or whatever, um, Thora Birch said in an interview that I saw that... um, she like called them up and asked them to have one more meeting with her. And she like cut her hair, dyed it black, like found thick glasses and like tried to dress like the character from the comic and showed up to the interview. And when they saw that, they were basically like, okay, yeah, you get the part. Nice. Yeah. And the other thing I thought was kind of cool is uh, in the movie, Enid's character is an artist and she like sketches in like a sketchbook all the time. And Dan Klaus didn't want to do the drawings himself. He insisted that it should be drawings done by a female artist so all of her drawings in the movie are actually done by r crumb's daughter sophie oh which i thought was cool okay that is cool yeah uh budget on this one was seven million box office was only 8.8 oh well not surprising to say that but unfortunate yeah but this this had to have been like popular in dvd or something yeah i mean even the fact that it's now a criterion movie you oh know. is it ghost mm-hmm. world is oh yep. man i'd pick that up yeah two out of three criterions on this episode mm. igby goes mm. down we'll have its day <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um yeah i definitely think this is one of those movies that took a little while for people to like catch up with on 
you know, DVD rental and whatnot and mm-hmm. discover. Yeah. Now is a good time. Yeah. So next up, finally, we have Igby Goes Down from 2002. Super Cadet has got this big smile on his face. No one takes him seriously. No one knows that he's been expelled that morning. They scream, jump! And surprise, he does a swan dive onto the pavement. You can still see the stain in the pavement where his head popped open. Every morning I used to use that blotch to know where to line up for breakfast formation. Do you contemplate suicide? Constantly. No, you totally missed the point of my story. Have I? Yeah, completely. It's about the hypocrisy of the place, which I couldn't tolerate. You let me do my job, and you do yours. I'm trying to fucking help you. You think I need help? Apparently. You think that I don't know how to do my job? Well, I mean, no offense, but how good could you be working at this place? You know, I can only be as effective as you allow me to be. Just tried to help you with my story. How did you feel about what the boy did? I feel like he should have really reconsidered his fucking options, don't you? What are your options? I don't know yet. Who were you trying to hurt with the pills? Nobody. I I was improvising as I went. I actually didn't give it a lot of thought. (laughs) I think that you are much more aware than even you realize. Yeah? Well, uh, you're an idiot, so... are you doing i don't like being called an idiot you prick you can't fucking hit me (sighs) next fall you'll be starting at yet another school igby are you gonna try to make an effort this time around i'm considering my options no idea what this was about but just familiar with the title for whatever reason i don't think i could have told you who was in it but it's funny i've never gotten them confused but whenever i would like recall the title of this movie i'd be like igby goes down no wait a minute am i confusing that with something else because i would always think of the movie quigley down under (laughs) oh all right (laughs) (laughs) just because igby quigley they both have down in the title sure sure (laughs) all right let me me just write write down quigley down under real quick just to (laughs) use that somewhere but yeah so I feel like this was probably the last one I thought of for this trio, mm-hmm. partially because it had been a while since I had seen it and didn't remember a ton about it. But um, I feel like if you look up like movies like Rushmore, mm-hmm. this will come up because it's also about like, you know, a, a kid who's like tangentially related to prep school because his, you know, rich mother is always trying to send him to them and whatnot. But Definitely a little on the darker side, this one. Yep, I would uh, crank that up to definitely dark. Yep. Yeah. Especially of the three. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, yeah, basic, this is another one that's kind of more of just a hangout movie. Basic premise is that uh, Kieran Culkin plays Igby, who grew up with these kind of well-off, yuppie, you know, drug and alcohol addicted asshole parents who just wanted to like usher him and his brother off to uh, like prep school so they didn't have to deal with them. Yep. And how old is he supposed to be in the movie? 15, 16. Uh, I know that Max in Rushmore was 15. I don't remember. I, yeah, Max 15 for sure. I'm not sure about Igby. 
still in high school age. But... Yeah, yeah, because he takes the high school equivalency test. But he's probably around 17 would be my guess, maybe. 16 or 17. But so anyway. I'm trying to remember. He, um... I was thinking is it creepy with the adult and children, but he might have been 18 plus. I'm not sure. I don't think he was 18 I yet. Think I, think, I think he's still, a, yeah, he's definitely not 18 because he's still a minor. I think he's like two years away from being able to get the money that his father left to him, which would mm. probably make him 16 would be my guess. Right, right, right. Okay. But either way, he's in that vicinity, 16, 17 years old. Just, he's just a rebellious kid, hates school and hates authority. So he keeps like getting kicked out of these schools and his mother's finding it hard to place him in different ones. She sends him to a military academy and he like runs away from there. And he just like meets some people through his godfather, played by Jeff Goldblum, and just kind of slums it around New York City for a couple yeah. of months, just like mm-hmm. bohemian lifestyle. Uh, Sleeping on the floor. Yeah, and just like being a kind of wayward soul. And um, yeah, that's that's like the, the majority of this It really movie. is. So I mean, it kind of turns into a love triangle quadrangle <laughs> a bit yeah with his brother played by ryan Phillippe and mm-hmm. his this girl that they meet played by claire danes mm-hmm. and amanda and pete. amanda pete and his yeah. godfather like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah it's another movie where you just like kind of meet this group of characters hang out in their lives and at all times you kind of have no idea how it's all going to end up yeah and there's not particularly this one. I think even more so than Ghost World, the hangout aspect of it, because it feels like it's just a snapshot of yeah. like what's going on at the time. You don't see like Igby's still seemingly the same person at the end. You know, not that mm-hmm. he needed to change, but just nothing. Uh, you know, went through some heavy stuff. I mean, this one is darker for sure. But. Yeah. And gets tuned up by Jeff Goldblum. I wasn't expecting that, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those movies. I'm sure if I sat and thought about it, I could think of a few more. I mean, I feel like mobster movies often give me this feeling of like about fifty percent of Igby's life is like things that I'm like, yeah, like that. I would like to live this. This would be a fun thing to experience. And the other fifty percent is just like, fuck, keep me away from that. Yeah. Like I'm, yeah. I'm fine in my boring life in the country. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I don't want any part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like inevitably, you watch a gangster movie, and it's like all good times, and like, wow, these big Italian dinners with everybody, mm-hmm. and then the next thing you know, everyone's ratting on each other and going yeah. to prison and strung out on drugs, yeah. and it's like, before you know it, the cops are banging on the door, and you're. Yeah. Cutting up bags of Coke into the toilet like Goodfellas. <laughs> like, I'd love to, you know, live the good parts, but they ain't worth the bad parts. So yeah. it's like, that's what's great about movies is to be able to live vicariously mm-hmm. through fucking, <laughs> right. you know, Igby, Igby Slocum's life. Right. Just running in the streets and. Yeah. And just disassociate when, like, Amanda Peet shows up and she's fucking strung out, you know, passed right. out on the toilet. Yeah. Just happens to be in some random crack house and she just is there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, tough to describe this one, I'll say. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so first time view. Uh, <laughs> what are your overall thoughts? First time view. Um, enjoyed it, but it's not. It doesn't really have a likable character. Maybe in the whole thing, in my eyes. Um. Everyone I just ran through like, the entire cast in my head thinking there must be one. No. Yeah, <laughs> I, there really not. isn't. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not Igby. 
Um, uh, like you want to be like, oh yeah, obviously it's Jeff Goldblum. Nope, no, it's not no, Jeff Goldblum. No, it's not him. I mean, there was never in... any doubting that it wasn't Ryan Phillippe. Yeah, I mean, everyone's seen some shit, going through some shit, doing some shit to someone else. Yeah, you know, um, not that, and that's not to say like a movie can't be good if it doesn't have a likable character. But I just remember, I I glommed onto that quite a bit of just being like, I could like I didn't feel I had a likable character very early. I was like, where is this going? And then it just kind of spirals down. And I'm just yeah. like, oh, okay, this is this is what's being presented. Like this is uh it feels like too absurd at times to be like a true story of like all of these things happening the way they do, but then also being like, yeah, this could probably be influenced by things people have seen too. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little sad to say I don't own this one, so I don't know if there's like a disc that has any special features or anything on it, but uh you know, streamed it and then went to the internet and between IMDB trivia and Wikipedia, there wasn't a goddamn thing to read about the behind behind the scenes of this movie. It was written and directed by a guy named Burr Steers, who no idea who he is. I think this was like his first movie. I don't I don't I have no concept of how it got made. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went on to make he wrote How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. And wrote and directed Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which is based on a book. Okay. Um, and he directed a movie called Charlie St. Cloud, which I've heard of, but I don't really know what it is. Heard of that, too. But, like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know who the hell he is. I don't know where he comes from. I don't know where this movie comes yeah. from, but it was, like, all him. And I like it enough to be, like, I would like to see more from him, but, like, I have no fucking interest in yeah. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. No, same. And this has like a pretty stacked cast. Even for the time, it was like a lot of up and coming or popular people. Jeff Goldblum and Bill Pullman reuniting from Independence Day. Yeah, for uh, sure. I mean, Ryan Phillippe, this was like, you know, he was taking off comer, at the time. Amanda Claire P. Danes, like hot in the streets with like Romeo and Juliet and stuff like that. I think Amanda Pete was probably like maybe coming off of. Uh... What's that? Bruce Willis. The whole nine yards. Movie? Yeah, I think. Man, that's... Amanda Pete. I have not thought about her in forever. Same. But man, there was like a six and a half year period where she was everywhere, it feels like. um, Let's see. Because she, she was in... in like the whole nine yards and the whole ten yards. Uh, She was in this. There was a TV show that might have had Matt. No. Matthew Perry? called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip that was like it was it was almost like a fake version of uh Saturday Night Live or something. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't a sketch comedy show but it was like behind Studio the scenes of SNL 60 on the Sunset Strip 22 episodes. Yeah, and she was in that and I remember that being kind of big at the time. Yeah, she um... And I I'm, I'm sure she's still been around acting and stuff, but I just feel like I haven't seen her in forever. She has not stopped. She's got she was just in Fatal Attraction miniseries. Oh. She's been doing TV since at least steady since like 2015. I mean, that's got to be the thing is we run into this from time to time where there's a director or an actor or something who, you know, they were in movies and then just like fell back on television and like that's what they can get. So that's what they do. And, or maybe that's what they want to yeah. be doing. I mean, I can't judge, yeah. you know, I, mean, I think she- we're past the point where you can say that like, oh, TV's a step down from movies. <laughs> Right. Yeah, those uh those days are different. Well, let's see here. I'll tell you the whole nine yards. Of what things year was I that? things I know. That was two thousand. 
So you got the whole nine yards, Saving Silverman. Oh, Saving Silverman? Yeah. Uh, high Crimes, I kind of, Changing Lanes in the same year. Those were. Yep, Changing Lanes I just watched recently as well, which is yeah. why I was like, wow, Amanda Pete out of the blue. <laughs> and then Igby goes down. And then after that, whole 10 yards. Something's got to give. That sounds familiar. I haven't seen, but I think that was kind of a big movie at the time. A few other Syriana. I think that was a big yeah. movie. I never saw that. Identity. I oh, gosh. That. Yeah, I do. So, yeah, no, she was The movie great. everybody thought was incredible the first time they saw it and then hated <laughs> on a rewatch. Yeah, here, here. So, yeah. All the <laughs> way up to like 2008, she was in the X Files, I want to believe. I mean, she's been yeah. in a ton of stuff. It just feels like she had her decade, which was like the 2000s, Ox, the aughts. Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, I don't know, she's like faded away. But yeah, it was interesting to see her again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jared Harris is in this. He's like uh, Russell, I think, the like the performance artist guy that she's friends with. Uh, and he's an actor who's been in like a thousand things. But I, I feel like I mostly know him from like the past decade. Like, I feel like I know him from the tens. You know, or the teens. I will say, I first saw him, I was like, wait, who is that guy? I was like, I couldn't quite place it, couldn't quite place it. He's like one of the main characters in Chernobyl, which is like Mm. one of my favorite miniseries from the last X amount of years. He's fantastic on that show. Yeah, he's a good character actor. Just to throw out a couple of things that jumped out to me, because he's been in a lot. He was in Resident Evil Apocalypse, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. He was... Uh, Moriarty in the second uh, Robert oh. Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he was in Lincoln. He was a voice. He was the the villain in the Box Trolls. The voice of the villain. Oh, okay. And uh, he was in Morbius recently. <laughs> Dude, he's been in a lot of stuff. But like him playing this character was unlike anything I feel like I'd seen for before. sure. For sure. Yeah. But I, yeah, I mean, uh, Susan Sarandon in this uh, yeah i mean stacked cast for yeah jim gaffigan has a uh a cameo as a hotel manager or a hotel desk clerk oh, i think i missed that yeah when uh igby like checks into the hotel and then the guy from the military academy comes and knocks on the door and wakes him up yeah yeah he jim gaffigan the comedian is the uh the guy who checks him in oh jeez, i think i noticed <laughs> yeah it's funny just yeah, one hell of a cast. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a dark, dour movie. I do find it like fascinating and enjoyable. It's just it's just one of these worlds that uh, I will never experience myself, yeah, <laughs> and like, it's interesting to like live gladly. vicariously. Yeah, gladly. I was about to say because of the prep school angle and the fact that uh, the main character is like a teenager, that this is almost like a fucked up somewhat more realistic version of uh, Rushmore but because the Royal Tenenbaums is about that like rich family like kind of well off respected family that has like that big mansion in is it New York City in that movie I don't remember I believe so it's almost like this is the dark fucked up like more realistic version of the Royal Tenenbaums <laughs> yeah or even like a dark, more realistic, fucked up version of like Arrested Development. Like uh, Susan Sarandon's character in this very much reminded me of a more like tragic, serious version of the mother on Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I, I, I do like this movie. I, <laughs> yeah, I was like good, rediscovering good. it all over again, but I enjoyed it a lot. It, it fits in the trifecta with also like feeling quite a bit different than the other two. 
Yeah. But yeah, definitely something just to, yeah, watch and not want to experience myself. Yeah. You know. It's interesting. I almost feel like this trio is like a weird Venn diagram with, you know, quirky, fun, Rushmore on one end, dark, twisted, Igby on the other end, and kind of goofy with Napoleon Dynamite elements, but also at the same time sad and serious at times, Mm -hmm. Ghost Mm -hmm. World in like the cross section in the middle. Yeah. It almost worked out perfectly. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually a great point because Ghost World feels like gets serious at times when it needs to, but then all keeps that kind of carefree teenager vibe to it as well. So, yeah. But even when Igby is, when the movie Igby goes down is funny, it's usually because of like, you know, quirky things that Igby is saying, but at all times you're just like, you little shit. Yeah, for sure. Like it's funny, but it's not as endearing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that that's a good that's a good line said by some asshole kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just recently we did the episode all about Macaulay Culkin. And, you know, I haven't seen much of anything that Macaulay has done since he's like matured. Because how old did we say he was when he did? Uh, uh, I think he was 10. Richie Rich and gave up acting for a while. Oh, Richie Rich was like 14, I think. Yeah, and I assume that Kieran was older than that when he's playing the, you know, like older teenager in this, but like haven't paid a ton of attention to his career over the years, but Kieran Culkin in this really good. He gets a lot of uh, praise for that show Succession on HBO. Yeah, yeah, that's the recent thing that yeah. uh which actually doing. I've only watched the pilot of that. And it was good, and I want to go back to it. Man, he's such a fucking asshole on that show, too. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, maybe he's been typecast. I mean. They're just like, we need an asshole. Get Kieran Culkin. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not super familiar with his career either, to be honest. Yeah, but I like him. I mean. Yeah. No, he seems like, uh, honestly, kind of perfect for this one. Is he the one? Yeah, he's in uh, Scott Pilgrim, too, right? He's the Culkin that's uh, in that. Yep. He's the Wallace. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'd be inclined to say that he's my favorite Culkin based on the couple of things we've mentioned. <laughs> I don't really know what all Rory has done. He played the younger version right, of right. Igby in this, but. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rory was in Scream 4, oh. which I did not like. <laughs> uh, but yeah, budget on this one was 9 million. Box office was uh, 6.9. Oh. And I, I don't really feel like this one has had the like afterlife that uh ghost world i feel has no and i just it's funny i don't know why this name is always stuck with me like i would immediately like was familiar with this name probably just because it's so weird i mean honestly yeah i think that that's enough but yeah but yeah igby goes down yeah poster time poster time milsey all right uh rushmore (laughs) It's funny, like this, I uh, totally understand where somebody like in the marketing department came up with this poster, but boy, does this not feel like a Wes Anderson movie poster. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it feels like a came of the time, you know, for sure. Mm -hmm. This feels like a late nineties kind of paced up thing. Certainly. Him with the beret doing like the fist in the air and -hmm. it mentioning revolution on the poster. It doesn't really fit. It 
Yeah, it does not give the vibe of the movie too much to me. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's kind of that's a good point because it's yeah, it's like a throwaway thing where he's wearing that hat. Yeah, you know, it's one or two times in the movie, but like the fact that they chose to have him wearing that on the poster and doing that, like, does he ever do that thing with his hand? Like, put his hand up like that I in the movie? I don't think so. I wouldn't necessarily say where the revolution line comes in either. Yeah, it. I don't know. It. Like, if he got expelled from Rushmore and then like the whole movie was him like fighting back against Rushmore or something, the Academy, that, that would be, but that's sense. not what the movie is. Like no. it starts off with his, his obsession with the school, but then it turns into more his obsession with the teacher. But right. Yeah. That's a weird one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it's, not, it's not bad, but I don't feel like it fits either. I do. I do like that. Um, all the credits are stacked in that blank space. In the bottom corner. In the bottom corner. I do like that. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not crazy about this one. Yeah, same. You know what I don't like? I'll tell you right now, I really don't like hmm. is how how the E pushes past the the line of the image. On well the notice right. the, the top left corner of the R as well. Uh the first I did not R. Notice that. Oh, yeah, yeah, it goes off that. the top of the poster. <laughs> Ugh, but then it's flush along the left. Ah, and yeah. even like you know, if you look at the very bottom, it's like uh, Bill Murray oh, yeah. and um, Olivia Williams are cut off by that black bar at the bottom, but he like sticks out over top of it. Yeah, so it's like the poster has a black box around it, but it's so they try. I don't know if they're trying to do it subtle or what. They just yeah, yeah. I don't like that. I don't like it, Millsy. I don't like how his hand is so close to the names up at the top, where it mm-hmm. feels like. If they didn't feel they need had to have that black box, they could have let them breathe a little more. But it looks like the the names are the size they are, so that they would all fit right above the fist and not touch it just barely. Yeah, and yeah, I feel like we're getting in the weeds on this one. But the uh, like see through nature of the S and the H. So yeah, with his arm. Of his arm, like why is that? But his arm covers the M. I, right. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So. This feels like an art school attempt at a movie poster. Like, I can just imagine Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson being like, look, we got to make the movie the way we wanted for the most part. Like, we got to let the studio have this one. Yeah. <laughs> let them do what they want with the poster. Yeah. It makes it seem like the movie is about, it's like a quirky comedy about, like, the uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm not feeling It's weird. That. All right. Ghost World. Ghost World. Bold choice. Mm-hmm. Just the two lead actresses, very small in the center, mm-hmm. tons of white space around them. Accentuate the negative. Yeah. An unforgettable comedy from the director of Crumb. Um, I think the figures are too small. I think I like the idea of just them colorful in the middle, but they could have been bigger. Mm-hmm. But, um... I don't know. I like the Ghost World font. Yeah. I want that Raptor t shirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am a little surprised that uh, if it hasn't been, that that hasn't been like mass marketed as a shirt. Oh, for sure. It's got to be. Yeah. I was watching some of the. Uh, there's a special feature on the Criterion Blu ray that is like 40 minutes long of. It's not even an interview with all three of them at the same time. It's like intercut between them, but it's Scarlett Johansson. Thor Birch and Ileana Douglas, who played the uh, the art te- the summer school teacher. 
like okay. a quirky yep. art teacher yep. lady. Sure, sure. And um, one of the things that comes up is Thor Birch mentions that people ask her all the time, whatever happened to the Raptor shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's got to be like 17 different sellers on Etsy. I was, yeah, I'm I was thinking the same thing and, for sure. Because I would rock the shit out of that. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like, I have nothing like great to say about this poster but i also don't hate it yeah it's like so weirdly middle of the road like it's fine i just i'm not sure why they made any of the decisions they did but i'm not immediately like this would improve it this would make it better they should have done this instead yeah it's a weird one so i get that they're like doing anything they can think of to try and push it because like how do you advertise this movie Mm -hmm. but like up at the top they're like it's an unforgettable comedy from the director of crumb like, really, how many people were familiar with the movie Crumb when right. this came out, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I wouldn't have been. Yeah, I I don't think I would have been either back in, what, 2001 this came out? Mm-hmm. Accentuate the negative. I don't really know what that's supposed to mean as far as the movie is concerned. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like, I there there are probably way better things they could have done with this, but... It's like they didn't it's there's this is so intentional what they did. Right. That it feels like they didn't make like a bunch of dumb mistakes, like all the weird things we were pointing out about the Rushmore poster. But it's almost right. like they couldn't have made any mistakes because they didn't do anything. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like two figures in a white void. Easy on the eyes, but it's not winning any awards. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Like. I think it would have been super cool if it had like an illustrated poster by Dan Klaus. Uh, he he did sure. the cover for the Criterion Blu-ray. Yeah, that would make a lot more sense. But um, hmm. yeah, I don't know. I just I it's like I have no opinion on this poster. Yeah, it's not giving you much, but yeah, feels indie. Like I even would have think I w- I would have even thought at the time Steve Buscemi might have been a big enough name to like put him on the poster and I mean for sure. Like, you know, people would know him from, like, Con Air and uh, Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, like... Uh, Fargo. Fucking yeah, Reservoir he's Dogs. Like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's <laughs> listed at the bottom, but... Yeah. Wouldn't know unless you're looking for it. Yeah, mm. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's just... It's there. And then uh, Igby goes down. Insanity is relative. Yeah, not a great tagline, but I get it. And yeah, you know, as far as the movie is concerned, I mean, easy to see. I mean, you can barely tell who's in the movie based on this tiny photo that's on the wall behind him. But they got the names are big. Yeah, they got all the names listed there, which for a movie like this with such a weird title is probably smart. For sure. I mean, all the more reason I would think they'd they'd show them all more prominently than just a photoshopped. Uh, family photo but yeah um feels very 2000 whatever mm-hmm. in indie dvd case yeah style yeah nothing about it's really blown me away it's another one where i don't hate it, it honestly like sure put all the names real big because you have to sell this strange movie mm-hmm. get rid of the stupid photoshop picture frame thing yeah i don't know it's not uh horribly offensive yeah nothing really to get fired up about this week poster wise mills yeah i gotta agree break it down for the people uh 
I mean, just because, like I said, I, I have nothing great or terrible to say about it. I'm going to give Ghost World um, three rare LPs. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, with minor cracks. Oh, in them. okay. <laughs> Enlarged hole. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Oh, that was so funny. Oh, I forgot to mention when we talked about the movie, but like he's only in one scene as a cameo, but I fucking love David Cross in Ghost World. Oh, at the party? Yeah, like the yeah. pushy dick at the party. Yeah. Like trying to yeah. hit on uh, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, that was good. Actually. Uh, he's he's such a good sleazeball when he <laughs> when he puts his mind to it and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, was good. That was, he was good. <laughs> Gosh, Igby goes down. I I think um, I don't know, three uh, swift punches to the face from your godfather. Oh, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> okay. Okay. Like I also don't really have anything great or terrible to say about that one. It's it's fine. It's relatively inoffensive. You think that is better than the Ghost World one? No, I said three for both of them. Oh, did you? Oh, I yeah. thought you said two. Ghost World. Sorry. No, no, no. Three. Okay. Yeah, they're both they're both fine. Uh, yeah. You know, could be better. Could be improved, but mm-hmm. I don't have any like real issues with them. Rushmore. I just I I just don't get it. I really don't. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, it's not like god awful, so I'm gonna give it. Um, it's gonna get a two bicycle tires run over by <laughs> Bill Murray. That's good. But uh, yeah, it's. I just don't understand the thought process behind this poster. Yeah. None of it makes sense to me. Yeah, it feels like uh, definitely trying to sell something other than what is the movie is. Yeah. I mean, it just, it does feel like, God, imagine if you could find a graphic designer who's never heard of Wes Anderson, never seen one of his movies, show him a Wes, show him or her a Wes Anderson movie, and then uh-huh. ask them to design the ad campaign for it. And like, what would you get? Right. Right. Uh, you'd get this, I feel. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well put. Well played. So there you go. All right, Millsy. All right. I concur across the board. Mm-hmm. Now, shall we uh, do a buy, a borrow, and a burn? We shall. Who shall go first? Uh, I feel like I've gone first the last couple. I want to hear. I want to hear how you're shaking down this week. All right. Uh, shouldn't come as any surprise after hearing me talk about the movie and how I am one with it. But uh, Ghost World's going to be my buy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Been a fan of this ever since I first saw it. As for the other two, uh, like them both. I think I was expecting on a rewatch to like come around more on Rushmore, but I still feel like it's pretty average for Wes Anderson and Igby goes down. I did not really remember much of anything. I didn't even really remember if I liked it all that much the first time I saw it. And you know, the movie has its issues, which we kind of touched on and is, you know, kind of dark and, and fucked up. But, uh, I think I just, I flat out, maybe because I came in with less expectations, but I think I enjoyed myself more watching Igby Goes Down. Uh, so I'm going to give that the borrow. Interesting. And as much as I am a Wes Anderson fan in this particular trio, uh, Rushmore is going to get the burn for me. Okay. All right. I mean, I own Rushmore now as well, and I'm happy sure, about sure. it. But <laughs> I had uh, zero expectation for what you were going to go this week, so... Makes sense after talking. 
I was fully prepared for you to like just not like any of these. Like uh, that oh. that was a possibility since I know you said you hadn't seen them. Not for any mm-hmm. particular reason, but I was like preparing myself for that. <laughs> oh, okay. Um well, happy to disappoint or <laughs> not disappoint that um really like Ghost World. That's an easy buy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would buy that. It does feel like a quote unquote hangout movie where I could see myself just having this on in the background, you know, just looking up to enjoy it at different times. But um, yeah, it just has a, it has a great vibe to it. Really like the production value. I think that the acting is excellent and like, yes, for legitimately one of my favorite Steve Buscemi roles. Yeah. So yeah, good stuff. I mean, he's usually, he is, I mean, he's like the male lead in this. He's not the lead character, but like so often Steve Buscemi is like, a quirky side character like Donnie and the big Lebowski is like hardly yeah. in that movie or totally. I think his name is Garland green and um, con air. And he's like, just such a weird little quirky part of it. And like, you know, Mr. Pink is a very memorable character in reservoir dogs, but hardly the focus. And right. Like right. all the, all the things I immediately think of him from he's, you know, yeah. Like Fargo, like, he's good, but he's like not in it a ton. <laughs> right. Like he's not pushing the plot in a lot of movies. Like he's a side character, or yeah, whatever. But, but yeah. this, he gets like tons of time to shine. He's like a really interesting and like uh, you know sad but relatable character, and yeah, he gets to act a lot. He does, and he gets like better as the runtime goes on. So I think it was like a real good casting job there. Yeah. So yeah, no, I was ha- happy to see this finally, and like really like excited that I liked it even more than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. So for me, it boils down to the other two, both first-time watches. Um, for what is there of that Wes Anderson feeling and the the story that's portrayed, I do like Rushmore more than Igby, so that's going to be my borrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Igby gets the burn. I wouldn't necessarily throw it into the sun. I mean, it's it's dark and, again, not it's devoid of a likable character, but... That doesn't mean it's bad. So I could still see myself even like recommending that as for that kind of uh, that era and that kind of story. But I still think the 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 quirks of Rushmore and some of the characters and how that story plays out, I just find to be more enjoyable. So that's mm-hmm. how I'm rolling. Fair. But uh, totally fair. here, here to Ghost World. <laughs> well, Mills, you know what that means. Yeah. Time to find out what we are watching next. What are we watching next? Episode 91. Uh, all right. What do we got to pick from there, friend? 234 options. Which will it be? Four. Here we go, Milsey. High numbers. 159. 159. Ha! Now for something completely different. Oh. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Yeah, uh, so next time we're going to be discussing the theme, Carry a Tune. Mm-hmm. This is a, one of the rare occasions where you and I came up with the theme together, it appears. I, all right, this, this is a mystery to me all around. Really? You, I, you don't know the... I don't know. I mean, I don't remember us coming oh, up with oh, this okay. together. I've seen the first one. Uh, I know that about the third one. I don't recall anything... You don't know what the second one is? Absolutely not. I've seen all three. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
right. it's one of those great ones where it's like they are linked by a common element, but mm-hmm. the movies couldn't be any more different right. <laughs> than right. one right. another. Yeah. Hmm. Let's see if I can get Tron on this one. <laughs> I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the second one. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna make for some fascinating conversation. Oh, I love it. And one of these I have been really dying to rewatch for a couple years now. I think which so. one? The third one. Oh, okay. Which I saw in the theater and absolutely loved. I think I remember you saying that, and I've kind of always wanted to see it for that reason. So I'm actually kind of excited to see that. Yeah. Interesting. You know, Mills, this is why we do this thing with you. Because <laughs> we're just, you know, we're just stopping all over the place to yeah. partake. Yeah, and I don't I don't think we have done a single movie in this particular variety yet that I really? can think of. Is this our first? I think so. I can't think I mean, of I can't think one. of what else there would have been. Huh. So we'll, we'll look at that. <laughs> Episode 91 coming soon. Carry a tune. I feel like there were a lot of hints right there. I, I'd be curious if somebody could figure out what these yeah. movies are. It's, I mean, it's a pretty good title for this episode. So yeah. we'll see, won't we? We will. Well, until then, I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.